Hi, and welcome to the GC Podcast. And that's what Han is going to be speaking to us about today. She's going to be speaking about God being um, slow to anger and abounding in love. Um, so, what we wanted to so, get you thinking about was this. Yeah, part of uh, who we are is our descriptions. And God describes himself as slow to anger and abounding in love. There we go. Um, so, we want to have a go at thinking of three words to describe us. I've spent all week thinking about this and I've still really struggled and I can't quite think of one. Not one, three. Um, yeah, so three words. I was like joyful and colourful and then I was like, I don't have another word. Yeah. I ended up asking all my housemates, like, describe me, I can't <laughs> do it. Um, so I went for compassionate as my third word. Um, That's a yeah. really nice word. Laura and I were chatting about it before the service and I was like, passionate? And I was like, yeah. and then I went, Domineering, <laughs> commanding, and I was like, "Oh, these are not these are not nice words." Um, so we're going to set you the task of why don't you chat with your neighbour about three words that you would use to describe yourself? Um, it's a it's a big ask, but yeah, why don't you have that conversation? Okay, let's bring those conversations to a close. That's like the hardest interview question, isn't it? Like that's the question I dread getting asked when I'm in an interview. So the three words that I came up with are diligent, I think they're coming up, uh, wise, and assertive. Um, I wonder what your three words were. And, and how did you find them? Uh, like, did you end up thinking about what other people would say about you? Or asking, like Laura was doing, like asking other people for those descriptions? Because that is definitely what I did. I found myself thinking, what did people say? What did the teacher say about me at school? That was like 25 years ago, but I'm still going, oh yeah, what did my teacher say about me? They always said diligent, that was always came up. What do like my friends say about me? What do my family say about me? Certainly my like brothers and sisters, assertive, bossy, same thing. Th those are the words that they gave me. But that wasn't the question, was it? The question is, what do you say about yourself? How do you describe yourself? And so when I then thought about it some more, how do I decide? I wouldn't choose those words for myself. Those are what other people have said about me. So I'm going to change my words. I'm going to go with caring. And actually, the reason that people often say I'm diligent is because deep down, I really care. I really care about doing things well. I really care about other people. I care a little bit about what people think as well. I would also describe myself as introverted. Again, not everybody knows that about me, that I'm, a, I'm very, very sociable, and then I go home and lie on the bed for an hour because I'm exhausted from seeing people. And also, there's a lot going on in my head. I often have conversations in my head before I have them in real life. In fact, often I say to Luke, my husband, we've already had this conversation in my head, and it didn't go well. So, heads up, do better this time. <laughs> but I know what he's going to say, so I know... Anyway... And thirdly, I would describe myself as funny, which isn't a description everyone else would give me, but I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> I think everything I do is funny. So, why does this matter? Because God describes himself. Not only does he tell us what his name is, Yahweh, but he also describes his own character. This isn't a human description of God. We get to see Yahweh's own words that he uses to reveal himself. So this is Exodus 34. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So from the word yet, we're just going to ignore that this week. Annabella's got the pleasure of teaching on that this week, what what, um, that means to punish the children. We're just going to do the bit before that. Thank you, Jesus. So we are looking at a God who is slow to anger. That's our theme for for today. And the original Hebrew that was used was erek apayim which we translate as slowness to anger, but erek actually comes from a a Hebrew root word, which would be more closely translated as lengthen or stretch. God's anger is lengthened. It is stretched out. And it's not often in church these days that we speak about the wrath of, of God or the anger of God. But actually in the Bible, we see it appear about 600 times. Um, And love appears about 550 times. So they're pretty equal in how much they are talked about. It's really, really important that we get to grips with um, this aspect of God, that he describes himself as anger, that he describes himself as slow to anger. And I wonder if, um, if I asked you to think of someone who is angry, who comes to mind, someone that you've known? Would it be a teacher, a head teacher, maybe a parent or a a grandparent, a boss, someone that shouts a lot. Mr. Williams, my primary school deputy head, comes to mind. Oh, he shouted so much and he made you eat all your lunch, even if you didn't want to. I I watched kids be sick in the lunchroom because they couldn't eat anymore, but Mr. Williams would stand over them. So what we're going to do is try and put that image of an angry person to one side because that's human anger. And I've got friends that don't ever really get angry. I don't know how they do that, because that is not my experience. I access anger really, really easily. A few weeks ago, we were driving home from G2, and Aaron, my 10-year-old, had left just before us on his bike. Um, And so very quickly, just around the corner, we caught up with him. And if you know Aaron, then it won't come as a surprise that he saw us coming and immediately started pedaling faster. He thought, "This this is my chance to beat my parents. He was racing us. Now, if I was driving, I would have backed off. I would have given him lots of space. I would have made it really clear I'm not engaging in a race on a main road. But I wasn't driving. Luke was driving. And inside, many fully grown men is a 10-year-old on a BMX. And that's definitely true of Luke. So he sped up, he overtook Aaron, then he eased off, let Aaron overtook him, engaged in a race on a main road going home. Then we came around a corner and we uh, were right then behind a lorry, which had stopped because there was a parked car and there was oncoming, oncoming traffic. So we had to stop behind the lorry. Aaron sort of squeezed in between us and the lorry. And then the next bit, I kind of, it's like I could see it in slow motion. Aaron glanced at us. He thought, this is my chance. They're going to be stuck here for a while. You could see the lorry was stopped. And then he slowly started to pull out to overtake the lorry. But there was no room and he couldn't see the oncoming traffic. 
So thankfully, my window was already down. And at the top of my voice, I shouted, Aaron, no! He jumped back in fear. And he looked at me with sheer panic on his face. And I don't know if it was because he nearly died or because he got shouted at in public. And so we were nearly home and we carried on going. We stopped racing. Luke had got the message. Um, and then we got home and I got out of the car and I was furious with him. What on earth were you doing? Don't ever overtake lorries like that. Never go into oncoming traffic. Should have gone on the pavement. Shouldn't have even been racing in the first place. And he was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then eventually I calmed down and I heard him and I hugged him. And I think he learned his lesson. Now, obviously, my anger in that situation was coming from a place of love for Aaron because I didn't want him to die. But it was also coming from a place of fear. It was uncontrolled. It was impulsive. It was explosive. I didn't even think about it. You know, I was just straight into that sort of mode. And God's anger is not at all like that. It is not explosive. It is not spontaneous. It is not uncontrolled like ours is. So we're going to have a look at the book of Jonah to understand God's anger a little bit more. And this is uh, quite a short book near the, old, uh, the end of the Old Testament. And if you've got a paper Bible, then it's great to have this open. If you use your phone, then don't bother because you'll end up reading a message, replying to a message. We've all done it. And then 10 minutes later, you're not sure what the speaker's talking about. So keep your phones away. But if you've got a real Bible, go for it. Um, so a bit of context, Jonah, the person, was from northern Israel. He was actually uh, very near to Nazareth, which later on is where Jesus came from. And um, the, the, there's a, he's, he's asked by God to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city at the time of the Assyrian Empire, which was a huge empire that was taking over uh, many nations. Um, the Assyrians were enemies to the Israelites. They kept sort of threatening to take over, trying to take over. There'd been battles and things. Um, and Nineveh itself was an enormous city, and it was described as sinful and wicked. And so the story of Jonah, in a way, starts with Yahweh's anger, although it's not directly said. But the first thing that happens is Yahweh says to Jonah, please, can you go to this city and tell them that they're going to be destroyed? He gives, them, he gives Jonah this instruction, go and give this message to the city of Nineveh. He has had enough of their sinful and wicked ways, and he's not going to stand for it anymore. Now, why doesn't he just destroy the city instead of dragging poor Jonah into this will become clear later. But Jonah, as many of you know, did not want to go. He did not believe that God would destroy the city. He did not believe that that would happen. And the Ninevites were his enemy. And so he, want, he didn't want to go and give them this message. He didn't want anything to do with it. And so he literally went in the opposite direction. Instead of going east towards Nineveh, he went west away from it, trying to run away. Obviously, you can't run away from Yahweh because he's everywhere. So he ended up on a boat. Yahweh sent a storm to that boat. Everyone on the ship was going to die. Jonah recognized what was going on. He asked the um, sailors to throw him overboard. He ended up in the sea. The moment he was in the sea, the storm stopped, proving that it was Yahweh. He then got eaten by a, uh, swallowed by a whale, spent three days in the belly of a whale. Um, th this is a good story. You should read it, but I'm going fast. <laughs> and then he got spat up. And he finally admitted defeat. 
and headed to Nineveh to give them this message that he'd been told to give. And Nineveh was such a big city that it took three days to walk across it. That's how big it was. But that is exactly what he did. He walked across the city giving this message, you have 40 days left. And as far as I can tell, it wasn't a warning. It was a message. You have 40 days left, then your city is going to be destroyed. But amazingly, the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. They took him seriously. Even the king listened and they repented. They wore sackcloth to demonstrate their repentance um, and they changed their ways. They realized what was going on. They realized that they were going to die in 40 days, but they repented and they, they changed their behavior. And in response to them changing their behavior, Yahweh... Um, changed his mind and he didn't destroy the city or the people now in most kids versions of this story it finishes there we actually had a kids book that finished there and literally the last page just said yay like great that's the end of the story it's not the end of the story there is a whole other chapter that wasn't covered and in the final chapter, we see Jonah being really, really unhappy with this outcome. He was really angry with Yahweh. And in speaking to Yahweh, he quotes Exodus 34. This is what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to Yahweh. Isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Yahweh, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So the irony here is that Jonah is angry because of his perceived lack of Yahweh's anger. He wanted that city to be destroyed. He wanted the wrath of God to be sent to that city. But because Yahweh relented and forgave them, Jonah is now really, really angry with Yahweh. And he says, I knew you wouldn't do it. This is exactly why I didn't want to do this message. I knew I would get here and then you just wouldn't do it. And I knew this because I know the scriptures and I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and rich in love. And he's right. Yahweh is slow to anger. He had watched this Assyrian empire grow over hundreds of years. He'd watched it be a constant threat to Israel. He'd watched it oppress other nations. And Nineveh was the capital of this empire, the most wicked and the most sinful place. We're talking torture of people that wouldn't obey the king. We're talking rape and murder, a city without laws. And yet, as he explained to Jonah... You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Just by the way, the context there is after Jonah got in a massive hissy fit and sat outside the city of Nineveh, this plant grew up to give him shade because it was a really hot sun. The plant was sent by God to protect him. And then God sent a worm to eat the plant and then the plant died. So at this point, Yahweh is really, really angry about the plant. He's just sitting there like fuming that his plant died. So when God says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it just sprang up overnight and died. Yahweh says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And despite the wickedness of the Ninevites, he still had great compassion for them because they're still his people. He wasn't just about the Israelites. He was about all people and still is, and the animals too. And they don't know any different, 120,000 people who don't know any different. And so why would he um, destroy them if they have repented? He's a God who saves. But did you know, this is not the end of the story for the Ninevites. It's the end of the story in Jonah. But later in the book of Nahum, which is a prophet, it comes between Micah and Habakkuk, the Ninevites are back to their old ways. And they've forgotten this warning from Yahweh. They've forgotten what what happened in the past. Uh, It's been about another 150 years. Yahweh's been calling to them again, come on, repent, but they don't listen. And so finally, in the book of Nahum, Nahum, we see enough is enough. And God does release his wrath on them. And the whole city is destroyed. It was destroyed by Babylon, which was a, like a new world power coming in from the south. And they didn't just destroy it. They totally annihilated it. So there's nothing left but rubble. There's no like sign of it ever existing. And so what we see in this classic kid's tale is the stark difference between Jonah's anger at a plant that died and Yahweh's anger at a nation that oppressed and tortured and murdered. Yahweh's anger, which springs up like that plant, is explosive and spontaneous, and Yahweh's anger, which is lengthened, which is stretched out over many, many years Yahweh does get angry. He does release his wrath. He unleashes his power. The consequences are huge, but he is slow to anger. A wreck, a pay him. Anger is stretched out. And Jonah never saw it happen. Jonah died potentially thinking, Yahweh, he's, he's never, ever going to reach that point of punishment. But it's really important we know what Jonah never, never saw, that Yahweh does get angry and he will deal with it. I very quickly want to talk about Moses and the Egyptians. Before Easter, we talked a lot about this story. So I think lots of us will know it, the Passover story where Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. But it's another really good example of Yahweh's anger. The Jewish people had been living in Egypt for 430 years. They'd initially moved there to settle. Then their numbers grew. The Pharaoh kind of got scared, felt threatened by the the growth of this um, nation and then introduced a regime of oppression, slavery, and eventually murder when all firstborn sons were were, um, ordered to be killed as they were born. And what was Yahweh doing all that time? 430 years. Is he just sat there like... Ignoring it, passively observing it, surely not. Surely, just like we saw with the Ninevites, he's growing in his disgust of the injustice. His heart was breaking for his people. But I think we often miss that his heart was also breaking for the Egyptians because he didn't want them to be caught in this cycle of lusting for power and living in fear. And then in Exodus 3 verse 7, we see the Lord saying, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. He will not stand for it any longer. Enough is enough. 
His heart breaks for his people, and he sends Moses to issue the warning, the first warning and then ten warnings, in fact. And each time that Moses says, set my people free, and each time there is a plague sent, Pharaoh says, okay, 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 I'll set your people free. And as soon as the plague stops, he breaks his promise, and he won't set his people free. And so it builds and builds and builds until the tenth plague happens. Thousands of kids, adults, animals are killed by Yahweh because he's reached the peak of enough is enough. He has given warning after warning, chance after chance. The Egyptians have been oppressing his people for 400 years, making it illegal to worship him, kidnapping and raping his daughters, killing first sons in every family, not anymore. Yahweh does get angry, but he is slow to anger. And then the story of the Israelites after they escaped Egypt continued, but their story is one of them frequently losing trust in Yahweh, forgetting what he has done for them and what he has promised them and Yahweh having to remind them. And finally, we see they arrive in uh, the land that had been promised them, the land of Canaan, and they sent some spies in to explore. They sent 12 spies in. They had 40 days to explore, and they, they came back to report on, okay, okay, how are we going to get this land that's been promised us? And 10 of them said, it's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. It's too, the people are too big. It's too fierce. We can't do this. There is no way we're going to overthrow these people. And so the Israelites lost heart again. And they began moaning to Moses and Aaron, saying, we should have just stayed in Egypt to die. How quickly they've forgotten what just happened in Egypt. We should have stayed there. That would have been better. And so at this point, the Lord says to Moses, how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. So this time, Yahweh's wrath is aimed at the Israelites. But Moses interceded for his people. He managed to turn that wrath of God um, away. And so God did forgive them. He didn't send a plague. But he declared that not one of them will ever see the land promised to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so those Israelites never got to enter that land. They suffered for 40 years. Um, one year for every day, you know, because it was 40 days of, of scoping that out. So it was 40 years in the wilderness. And the 10 spies that came back and said, no, there's absolutely no hope here. They did die of a plague. They were on the receiving end of God's wrath. Only Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that came back and said, yeah, I can see that, that Yahweh will lead us in this. Only the, those two um, stayed and uh, and. Uh, saw God's promise happen. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He does get angry and his wrath can destroy whole cities or whole nations of firstborns. His wrath can make people wait 40 years or strike down people with a plague. But he's slow to anger. His anger is patient. He's not impulsive. It's not out of control. And there are loads and loads of examples of Yahweh's wrath in the Bible. I had a really hard time just picking a couple to talk about today. And so I'd really recommend going on a discovery of this. Like, just open the Old Testament. It won't take long before you see an example of his anger. But don't stop there, because I think often we just go, oh, I don't understand it. Like, 
press in, press in, uh, ask questions about it, read the context, see how long it takes Yahweh to get angry and why he gets angry. And you know, Jesus himself got angry in the temple once too. And just like these other examples, it wasn't impulsive or explosive. It might look it, but it wasn't because it was years and years and years of seeing the temple market becoming a place of corruption and theft. And it was right at the end of Jesus's life that he finally responded to that. He waited a long time. Okay, so what? Why are we talking about God's anger? Do I just want to put the fear of God into everyone? Are we trying to build a church where we're all really scared of Yahweh? Absolutely not. It is written 365 times in the Bible. Do not fear. One for every day of the week. Do not fear. Because, but the reason we're talking about it is because without fully understanding God's anger, I don't think we can fully accept his grace. Without God's wrath, without knowing what that anger really looks like, without knowing what that power really looks like, his mercy is cheap. It's superficial. Morgan would describe it as the Primark version of grace. It looks nice, but doesn't really last. <laughs> the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He does get angry. He has to get angry. You know, a father that doesn't get angry is just a doormat just someone to be walked over. A few years ago, Morgan, so he's my 12-year-old now, but he was probably six at the time. He was playing football regularly, going to, it was actually here at Home. he was going to this like little session every week. And the coach was pretty hard on them. Like I would sit and watch and I would struggle a little bit with the, the coach sort of shouted a lot and gave lots of instructions. And I'd say like Morgan is a natural golfer, not necessarily a natural footballer. Um, and so he was struggling a little bit, but I thought, well, I've never been a football coach. So I don't want to be sit here criticizing although all the other parents were in fact one family had made up a song about the coach that they would sort of sing while watching it was all a bit strange but one day Luke had gone to football with Morgan brought him home and Morgan walked through the door and he said that man just makes me feel like trash I just feel awful the way he talks to me I just I, I hate it and he was young and obviously my heart broke my anger rose, but I managed to stay calm. Um, but as soon as Morgan was in bed, I was on the phone to the coach. I said, what on earth are you doing? This is what my son has said. This is how young he is. What on earth are you doing? How dare you speak to my child like this? And to be fair to the guy, he took it on the chin and he said sorry. And he listened and he asked questions and he said, no one's ever given me this feedback before. And I was like, no, because they're all singing songs about you, but no one will actually say it to your face. <laughs> But there was, there was a change afterwards. But ultimately, my question is, would I be a good mum if I didn't get angry in those situations? If, we, if your loved one tells you something that they're, they're hurting, of course we get angry. We get angry for them because it comes out of our love. And my love and my anger is nowhere near as big as God's. But my point is, God's anger and his love are not at opposite ends of a spectrum. It's not like we need to understand his anger over here and then his love over here and he's somewhere in the middle, hopefully. It's that they are one thing. His wrath is his love. His wrath shows us how much he loves. And so when he gets angry at the Ninevites, it's coming from his love for 
all people being rescued. When he gets angry at the Egyptians, it's coming from his love for the Israelites. When he gets angry with the Israelites, it's coming for his love for them. He longs for them to walk in step with them, to, to trust him, to follow him. And he's angry that they're not, and they continue to not do that. They keep on turning away. It's not that he moves from this place of love, like, oh, I love the Israelites, and now I'm angry with them. It's that the anger bubbles out of the love, the passionate anger, the burning anger is the same as his burning love for them. There must be a consequence, but he is slow to anger. He is gracious and compassionate and abounding in love. And so, guys, what this shows us is this is outrageous grace. Are we so different from the Ninevites, from the Egyptians, from the Israelites? Do we not all turn away from God? Do we not all live selfishly, lose trust in him, run away from him, forget that all that he has done in our lives already? Because this could be our story. Any of these stories could be our story. Just change a few names and places. Change, I don't know, Nineveh for Hull. No, that's a bit harsh. But there could be our story. Our need for his mercy is colossal. Because that's how far Yahweh will go to save his people. But then Yahweh became man. And that man rewrote the story. And in the song, In Christ Alone, it says, the wrath of God was satisfied through the cross. It was put out, it was quenched, it was dealt with. So that's not to say Yahweh doesn't get angry anymore, but it was dealt with on the cross. Through Jesus, there is mercy on offer for all of us. Now, just like the Ninevites, he shouldn't forgive us. That's what Jonah was so angry about. Why did the Ninevites get forgiven? But it shows we're in the same boat, and it shows us that. God shouldn't forgive us. Shouldn't forgive us. But when Jesus got on the cross, he took all of that punishment and all of that wrath, all of that that we should receive, and he received it. He took it all. And then when he rose from the dead, he defeated that death, and he showed the world who he was. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, inbounding and love and faithfulness. Let's pray. Does the band want to just come up? Jesus, I'm sorry for the times where we accept a cheap version of your grace. And I thank you that you have revealed the depth of your love and the breadth of your love and how far you will go to rescue people. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be speaking to each of us now. Why don't we just stand?
We're not going to rush into worship. We're just going to take a minute for this to just settle on us. For us to process what we've heard. Maybe something's stirring up in you. Sometimes we might just open our hands up just as a sign that we just want to receive more from God. So if you want to do that, then let's do that now. Maybe you're someone who's been quite scared by the thought of an angry God and maybe that's linked to a human anger that you have experienced. And so I pray if that's going on for you that the Holy Spirit will be ministering to you now and healing that that broken thread. Because human anger doesn't always come from love. It can come from fear. It can come from brokenness. But Yahweh's anger comes from love every single time. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you took all of our punishment. And we just pray that goes deeper into our hearts. Let's respond by worshipping together.